Welcome to Unstoppable at Craig, where we pull back the curtain on what makes healthy workplace cultures click and what happens when people are empowered to expand the boundaries of what is possible. We'll explore the perspectives of employees and leaders who have carte blanche to speak their truths, tell their stories, and unlock uncommon ways of approaching challenges. I'm Dr. Jandell Allen Davis, CEO and President of Craig Hospital, a world-renowned rehabilitation hospital that exclusively specializes in the neurorehabilitation and research of patients with spinal cord and brain injury. Join me as we learn from people who love what they do and what happens when fear doesn't stifle innovation. Hello. In today's episode, we start with the concept of fear-based leadership and discuss how it stops people from doing their best work. We use this as a jumping-off point for a conversation around what makes great leaders, who are in every way the antithesis of fear-based leaders, and those we need at the top of every organization to develop thriving workplaces. We touch on many different concepts of what makes a strong leader, so buckle up. This is the second episode of a two-part series, so if you haven't listened to the first one, I do encourage you to go back and do so, and then come back to this one. In the first episode, we introduced our guests, Denny O'Malley and Mike Fordyce, former CEOs of Craig, and talk about their contributions to Craig's culture. And in this episode, we carry through the threads of that first conversation as we discuss our thoughts on leadership. There's some things I learned along the way, and there is there are some things that, for me at least, changed a little along the way. One thing that I I believed very early on is organizations need to drive out as much fear as they can. Mm-hmm. Fear is forgive the expression here at Craig, but fear is paralyzing. People do not do their best work when they're afraid, when they're afraid to screw up, afraid to make a mistake, whatever. So I tried to drive out fear and replace replace fear with fun. Mm-hmm. because when people are relaxed, they do their best work. And when are people inclined to be relaxed? It's when they feel confident about where they are. It's when they feel like they're having a little fun at what they're doing. So I think those are concepts that, that organizations often don't appreciate fully, and I think they, they, they work pretty well here. It's certainly not foolproof, but they work pretty well here. Uh, I can tell you that we had, and you had, Mike, and I know you probably have Jandell, or if not, you will, opportunities for Craig to to succumb to the urge to merge or to become part of a bigger organization. And I, uh, I fought that vigorously. I didn't really have to fight it, but I mean, uh, we rejected it, the opportunities that came our way, and there were many. And why did we do that? Well, I think it's because I understood and fortunately the organization did and the board, that our culture was something special, that the intimacy of the healthcare transaction here at Craig was uh, unusual and unusually strong. And to become part of another organization that maybe could never fully understand the importance of culture to outcome here, I was afraid that that would be compromised and that that special kind of atmosphere that we had here might not be replicable uh, or even uh, something that could be perpetuated with a much larger organization that, that had a different set of values. So I I try, I resisted that. And, and in retrospect, I'm glad we did. Now, there were other pragmatic reasons too, but that was because we were independent. We were the Switzerland of healthcare. Yeah. 
we wanted to have referrals come from all the healthcare systems. So to align with one would be, in many respects, political suicide in the eyes of the other. Exactly. So uh, we wanted to be the place where anybody with a spinal cord or brain injury could come, regardless of what system they originated in. Right. And we were going to rise above, you know, be loyal just to your system. It was instead be loyal to the patient and what they need. Yeah. Mike and told that, me that. Still every, knock on everybody, the door. Everybody in the healthcare uh, operations would love to be able to say that Craig's part of their family. Yeah. Clearly. Yes, we were popular. Yeah. Um, well, I think we can, we can tell them we are. Yeah. We'll, we'll take care of all your patients. I remember being asked that question in that first round interview. And exactly to your point, I said, if you get with one system, you're with that system. And more importantly, you haven't helped at all curb the healthcare cost conundrum we find ourselves in because then everybody's going to try to do it. And that just increases cost and does not necessarily, in fact, you can yeah. pretty much guarantee it's not going to comport well with And sometimes quality. you have to be careful how you walk that plank uh, with these partners. I, you know, being an independent hospital is uh, an anomaly today. I mean, it's, it's a rarity. I'm, I'm glad it's something that we've been able to sustain. And and now they, look, they both look at me and say, so what are you going to do about it? I, I was not only asked about it in your, um, in the, the initial interview about this notion of independence, but back to the inclusive way that input is given to making the big decisions around who gets to come and hang out at Craig. Every single one of those interviews that I had over two days here in the second round, this subject of independence came up. And I said to them, I said, I think you're wise to, to, to stay independent, but it's not enough just to say, I want to be independent. You have to be strong and independent and strength under strength. It's not, I don't mean that as a mushy word. I think it is part of culture, but it also means some, you know, paying attention to what's happening in the markets outside. You got to bring the outside in. You, Got to watch, frankly, you got to keep your arrogance and complacency a yeah. bit in control because you can begin to think you're the best and not be necessarily open to new ideas or new exactly. learnings from others. And so one of the, it did happen, Mike said, someone will knock on the door and want to have a conversation. It's like, oh, I hadn't even been here four months and it happened. No, yeah. it's happening. And what I did is I sat down and said, we need to have some deep conversations about why it's important with the teams yeah. and with the staff and with the board. And so we've done that. Then we're approached by DU to, would you be willing to be, to write a business case, to be the subject of a business case? And the reason had nothing to do with the topic, because I did end up saying this would be a cool one to write about. This whole topic of independence, it was because most of the protagonists in business cases and business schools look like you two, white males. They don't look like little black girls or women. And so I said, I think that would be great. And I said, and I know the one I want us to do. I'd love them to write one on independence because most business school cases are on mergers and acquisitions right. to your, your earlier points. And so we, we have that out there and we are now thinking about it back to how do you make a great place better? The, the worry for me about this whole notion of independence, and this is a lesson for lots of sectors or industries, not our own, is that um, if you don't take a moment to answer the build or buy question, you can get your cost structure super heavy because you have this sense that, well, we're not going to, they got it, but they'll want us in. So we'll just build it. And then you can't, it's not sustainable. So we are partnering the discussion of independence with, to in some ways, what you said about the SEL story. I don't know, obviously, the whole story or even a tiny bit of it with the idea of where are there opportunities to even deepen or strategically partner with others to provide some of the services for our patients that it, 
doesn't make sense for us to to necessarily do. So we're continuing to move it along, yeah. but by God, not on my watch is what I say. One of the things I learned over time was it's easier to identify the external threats to your culture, things that change on the horizon in healthcare and reimbursement and all those sorts of things. Those are easy cause, uh, to see coming at you. But the ones that are more insidious and that are almost in some respects more dangerous are the internal threats to your culture. Uh, and those are not often are not conscious, but there's a movement within some element of the staff or certain leaders who want to try to take you in a different direction uh, because maybe they're they're bored and they want to do something to to change their you know landscape a little bit. So they say, I want to do this and so on. And we always would have to to challenge ourselves and say, does that help promote the culture that we want to preserve? And uh, that's not always easy to do because you have to try to balance you know personal growth and and organizational values. Uh, but we always worked our way through it. But I mean, I think part of the job of the leaders is to identify those internal threats and say, how are we going to you know, find the right answer to that? How are we going to work through that? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was interesting. One, one other little bromide that I guess I, uh, I think about, and I forgot to mention initially about um, changing uh, over time, maybe your leadership style and, and what influenced it. And it was, uh, I, I had a light bulb finally go on after being here about three months. I'm getting chewed up by the emotion of this place. Here, here I am, 25 years old, the CEO, don't know much, and I'm walking around in the halls, and most of the patients are my age peers. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, but for the grace of God, go I, kind of thing. And it took me a while, and I thought, you know, I was impervious to this because I grew up with a disability in my household with a brother with polio and so on, but it just, it just didn't uh, correlate as fully as I thought it would. So I, uh, I realized that um, I got to stop pitying these people. I can't help mm. somebody if I'm going to pity them. Mm. You, you, you need to develop a healthy empathy, but not pity. Pity is negative. Yeah. Empathy is positive. It's, a, it's something you appreciate the situation, and now you can deal with it. I, I had trouble because I always wanted to turn the clock back to that millisecond in time when this catastrophic event occurred and changed somebody's life forever. But I, no matter how hard I try, I can't wish that away. That happened, and yeah. it's done. But if I start at that millisecond, right after it happens, maybe I can help make a life a little bit wow. better. Wow. So uh, th that, again, was something that where a light bulb went on, and it affected the way I approached decision-making and, and uh, was very helpful. Sort of facing you, facts. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned internal threats. It made me think about, uh, you know, one of the, the things that you have to kind of protect here is you're going to have turnover of, of department directors and you hire a new department director and they're very talented. They've got great ideas and we would bring them in and like within four weeks, the department's up there because <laughs> they wanted to come in and put their thumbprint on everything. So we used, to, I don't know if you, but we used to basically hire, when we hired a, a new director, basically they had a mandate don't do anything for six months. Yeah, yeah. And then live, we do keep that. Live in the culture, observe. I, I used to say don't change anything until you understand yep. why it's the way it is. Yeah. You know, and that's a great uh, one to put into the room, Mike, because I've spent a fair amount of time being terrified, and I'll use that language just internally, about harming this place knowing just like we do that continuous improvement is part of it and and it's real important to figure out how you hit that balance 
And in my view, it really is not just about don't change anything for six months, but make sure you're clear about what you're going to do over those six months. And it is not just getting to know to the extent you can, although I learned a really valuable piece of history that Dana had, Dana Polonsky, one of our VPs, hadn't bothered to share about why we decorate the Christmas trees as leaders just the other day. But to learn the history as much as you can, but more importantly, to get to know people. It is a corny phrase, but it is one of the truest ones I know. Because I, and it also comes from healthcare, from taking care of patients. They don't really care what you know until they know that you care. And that's a lot of walking, a lot of talking. We, we tell all of our um, new employees, because we go down to new employee orientation, I'm sure you did too, every two weeks, and meet with the whole leadership team goes down. And I tell them that we are a very casual culture, but we're not careless. I now, since you and I talked last spring, I actually walk through on slides um, some of the phrases from the Craig recipe that we did update, because all good recipes, you know, they need to be updated. And then the last slide I show is the quote you left me because we were talking at the time about, oh, so who's still around? I said, well, you know, there's been a lot of retirements, but there's still some long tenures here. But people don't stay in places as long as they used to. And you had said, you know, it doesn't matter how long you stay. I put in quotes. I hope it's forever. I said, but your job is to make sure that this recipe is passed down to future generations. So we, there's this thread that needs to be carried through at the same time that you are knowing you need to change. Because the reality is the market is not the market it was when you get here. And I will say, honestly, sometimes I want to pull my hair out when I hear from people, which you don't hear as much anymore. Oh, well, that happened during Denny's time when we just wrote it out when the insurer said XYZ. I said, the insurers aren't saying XYZ anymore. They're saying, hell no anymore. So how do we work with that? Or, you know, those sorts of those sorts of things is this idea that Gently and in the appropriate way, bringing in the outside has been super important and tying it to how it is that we actually remain independent, but not doing it through this sort of, I guess I'd call it ridiculously transactional or technical way, but back to mission. This place has to survive. This place has to thrive. It has to endure. I remember, and Mike, you were, this was when we were still in our um, overlap period, because there were 10 retirements between, and I started on October 1st too, 2018, so 10 years later, but there were 10 retirements between October and like March or April of the following year. So that little tiny bit of time, and they were all people who'd been here 30, 40, a lot of 40, or darn near 40 year uh, tenures. And I've never told you this story, but I remember for Lee Means, who was our director of facilities and and had environmental services and, you know, that whole thing. Saw you two side by side through a couple of builds and expansions, I'd imagine. And his party down in the, the cafeteria and to see, you know, police and fire and construction company leaders and architects and old timers who came back from all over, you know, whether they were therapists or other uh, folks who worked alongside Lee. And you were there, Denny, I remember. And you all told stories. And you told these amazing stories. And see, okay, here we come. Uh, there's going to be more tears. So I'm just warning you guys. And I stood in the back and I listened to this and I watched this. And then, Mike, you spoke. And, and, you all, and it was just this thing that, first of all, it's rare that you see it that way. I mean, if you think about typical retirement dinners, we're all buttoned up and they roast them, which really is a not so nice way of saying what you wanted to say. <laughs> they were in charge, whoever the they is. 
But I stood in the back and I got, I said, I can't have 30 or 40 years of this. They'll have me in a wheelchair by then. <laughs> but more importantly, what a beautiful, beautiful thing it is for people to have this, you know, th things that people may not even know. You know, many walking through here don't even know how good it is and what a special gift it is to work here. And I actually went up to my office and I was very tearful about it. And so I'd wonder through that lens, I, it'll be interesting to see what I'm like, how much blubbering I'm doing when it's my time to say to the board chair, it's time or whoever. So what was it like to know that you both got to end, as I will too, given my age, your careers in a place like this? And what did it mean, Mike, to be the leader of this great place for 10 years? Denny, I think, mentioned it already. It's not an easy place to leave. And uh, knowing that the announcement had been made, we've already announced that you were coming. There are many times that I would look at Veronica Trimble and say, let's, let's just pack up my stuff. Let's go out the back door, put it in my car, because I can't say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a rare honor, I mean, to be able to be, for me, in one organization for... 35 years and its alleged leader for 34 of those was uh, an amazing experience. But it was, you know, I mean, I I tried to be sort of the uh, paternal figure in my own family, but I lived with Craig Hospital's family much longer than I lived with my own. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I have three daughters and wonderful daughters, and they've gone on and expanded the family and grandkids and the whole deal. But they were only under the roof for, you know, 18, 19, maybe 20 years. And uh, Craig was under my roof for 35. Right. And um, it was not just a job. It was a vocation. It was a, a, a way of life and a, a way of life that, uh, you know, you leave, you leave Craig, but it never leaves you. I hope that's the way most people who have come through these doors, regardless of the length of their tenure, feel that Craig will never leave them, that it was an experience that touched them in a way that had a lifetime impact. That was certainly true for me. So much of the way I view life has uh, been influenced by, you know, being being here. And I, I mean that in, in every way, and I'm not going to get into them all, but I mean that in terms of how I interact with people. I mean, it's affected my politics. It's affected all kinds of things yeah. that um, stay with me. But at some point, as Mike said, and I think this becomes very important, and you're the one that will have to face this next because we've already done so, and that is to say, when's the right time? When's the right time? I left this job, the day I left it, I loved it more than any time in my entire career. I, I mean, it, it was fun, partly because I knew I was going to be able to lift this load and stick it over here <laughs> yeah. and, and take it off mine uh, after all those years. But but it was more fun uh, in so many ways. And yet, I knew it was time. Why would you leave somewhere where you're never having more fun? Well, because there was something inside of me that said, I'm concerned that, I'm gonna, that I might start cutting corners, that I'm going to start making decisions just by rote because I've done it so many times. Oh, that again. And so you throw the same answer at it without really thinking it through. And I was worried that yeah, I might folks. get sloppy. Yeah. And this place deserved better than sloppy work from me. 
So that's when I knew. People said, you know, you're not even 60. I was just shy of 60 when I left here. So I had a few, hopefully, good years left. I, I knew it was time. And you'll know. I don't know when that'll be, but you'll know. Don't don't deny the, vi- the voice and, and don't fight it. Uh, mm-hmm. And when you leave, it doesn't matter if it's 10 years or 35 years or whatever it'll be for you, 10 or 12 or whatever. It's uh, how good were those years? And you can have just as much fulfillment and contribution and residual value in a lot shorter tenure than I did. It, it doesn't matter. That's well said. And, you know, we were talking about, you were talking about your interview process. And you really know what's important to people when you think about the questions they ask you. And, and you experience questions about culture and culture and culture and independence. And I face the same questions change, culture, independence. You didn't get this, this question, but I got this question all the time, no matter what group I was interviewing with. And they would say, do you feel comfortable wearing a dress? Because <laughs> Denny wore dresses all the time at Halloween, you know? But that was the other question, which, which rather, talked about fun. Rather smartly, I might which, add. That question talks about fun, yeah. which this place is fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. one one comment I'd, I'd make to you, and I mean this as a, a very sincere comment. You said to both of us, but certainly to me, on numerous occasions, you know, I, I don't want to mess it up. I don't want to mess it up. I would say to you, forget about that. You haven't messed it up. You're not going to mess it up. Don't obsess on messing it up. If you're going to obsess on something, it's obsess on, have I made it better? Yeah. Not, have I messed it up? And you're making it better already. Yeah. And you Thank will. You. Thank and you. so don't worry about that. You know, it's the thank you. And that's a, I'm going to try to absorb that. And I will also change my language because it's somewhat jokey when I say oh, it. I, I say to you guys, of course. it's still standing because there's part of me on some level that I do jokingly say, oh, look, my badge worked this morning. I guess I'll go in. <laughs> right? It's like, I'm still employed. But what I say, and that's what I mean behind the comment that Jandell, it did, you've been here four years and three months or yeah. whatever. You would have screwed it up if it was going to happen by now. Just keep doing you. You're not going to do it perfectly every day. And and part of the reason why it works is because they're really, to use another horn, corny phrase, I tell them, there's no I in team. You got great people around you. Your job is to give them all of the horsepower and gasoline they yeah. need and know that you're here to bust barriers, to know when it's time to be a player coach and know yeah. when it's time to be a coach and step back. And you're fortunate to have a team that's so talented, but also they have the gift of telling you if they think that it's a wrong decision. Oh, boy, do they ever. They will. I love our team that way. And, you know, one of the things, back to this whole notion of when is it torch passing time, and I don't know. I mean, that's, that's clear. I keep saying, and my goal is to get us through this huge expansion that's coming. We got a lot of money we have to raise. The, the way that we arrived at what we want to do it, it's all so patient and family and community centered. You know, this whole, you know, whether it's the outpatient work, whether it's beginning to think about pre rehabilitation so that the folks who hit the door for rehab are ready to do rehab and we're not helping them still recover from either complications that happen in ICUs or they're still healing because the the desire to be here, just so you all know, the, the wait list is 60 to 70 deep. And it in, on any given day, 20 odd are ready if we had beds today to put them in today. So we've got work to do in that that sort of space. But 
the 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 work ahead and i will know when it's time but the the what i realized given what i know are coming around 10 years is that in a few short years i'll be the senior most person here which is shocking on the leadership team but that's the beauty of the long 10 years here is that they come to an end too so anyway thank you for the grace of <laughs> stop saying that you haven't screwed it up yet and and we won't the people here are too beautiful and, and i think they like me enough that they're not going to let me screw it up to exactly your point. So when you think about that 10 years and 34 plus one years of being here at Craig, your life, you didn't go home and sit in rocking chairs when it was over. I know that about both of you. Were there things in terms of how your leadership did develop? Or as you said, Mike, things that you had just continued to mature that you'd worked on for years and years before that you took into the work as leaders in terms of things you're doing now or or did after. Uh, Just a few words about what those particular things might have been. Yeah, well, I I did independent healthcare consulting for about nine years after I left here and then became the interim CEO of the Denver Zoo. Well, they did a national search, uh, which I told them would take about, should take about six to nine months, and I left there 18 months later. (laughs) But it was, uh, actually, it was great fun and a good experience. But I'll tell you something that was really uh, enlightening to me. I never really fully appreciated how good this organization is until I was in that intimately involved with some others. Mm -hmm. Uh, Consulting, going in and seeing how others work. Not that they're terrible organizations, but the stuff that we did here worked. And I went to the zoo and the same thing. And I I drew so much on my Craig experience at the zoo uh, the main thing they needed because they'd gone through kind of a tough time with the leader they'd had there. And um, I was uh, asked to do the job and I was, I said, I'm too darn old. You need somebody with more tread life left on their tires, but I'll help you through the transition. And um, I realized they needed some uh, real uh, turnaround in morale. Mm -hmm. They were kind of at a low point and I had been on the board in the past and the zoo had generally very good morale. So I drew so much on the Craig experience about, you know, how to how to build the culture and reducing that psychological size mm-hmm. and going out there and working with the zookeepers and all of that in the first period of time I was there and starting to see things built. It's not that I'm any genius. It's that they ju- we just needed to unlock what was inside of all of them mm-hmm. to uh, to bring it all together again so that they could feel great pride in what they did and so on and so forth. And I just relied so much upon the Craig experience that everything I learned here and that I was taught here to uh, try to make in a relatively short time that organization better and the organizations with which I consulted to try to give them a little bit of a roadmap about how to develop their cultures as well. So the experience here was invaluable. You know, what's cool about, I love that unlock what was inside. Nobody comes to work saying, let me see who I can piss off or kill today or hurt, right? So if that's not the case, if if, if that is in people, what do we do as leaders and organizations to actually harness that or to tamp it down. So it's great. Well, I think this is the time where we're supposed to do a bit of a wrap up. And I want to end where I started, which is just thanking you, thanking you for the gift of being able to do what I get to do every day. And I do mean get to do every day um, in this um, amazingly strong organization that is as strong as it was the day I came in, if not stronger to say, making a, a good place better, but then also just for the gift of your friendship and staying connected however often it happens it's just it's a comfort to me knowing you both are out there and that you have stayed in whatever ways you have connected to others here too because i think that's important and it's a real gift for you to come and do this this is rare i mean who who does this 
Yeah. What really makes this special is the fact that it's, I think it is rare organizations that do tend to its legacy and uh, from a leadership perspective. And that's just something that's really important to me. So it matters to me. So thank well, you. Thank you for letting us take a trip down memory lane. It's been a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it, it, typical of the Craig experience uh, today, we, we, we shed a few tears. We yes. had many more laughs. And, uh, but we were all uh, touched by our common experience here. Yeah. And uh, best of luck to you. Best wishes for your continued success. And, and uh, Mike took it over from me and made it better. And you took it over from him and you're going to make it better. You've already started. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's been uh, an honor to be with my friend here and to be with you today and go down memory lane a little bit. And, uh, you know, it never leaves you. Right. It never leaves you. It's a good place. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And I want to end by again giving a huge thanks to Denny and Mike. As I'm sure you've noticed, they're special people who care deeply about Craig and its success. And I continue to be grateful for their leadership insights. I hope the conversation has inspired you and perhaps motivated you to incorporate one or two new approaches into your leadership style. Maybe you'll even make a Craig recipe for your own organization. Thanks for joining us today. And if you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode.